God bless you. Happy Fourth of July. Glad you're here. It's a big vacation week. I know a lot are out, and we just pray for those that are traveling this week. But God bless you for being here. We're so glad you're here at Church on the Hill. I'm Pastor Paul. That was my wife, Elizabeth. And we're just so thankful. We're thankful for a free country. We're thankful for a free church. We're thankful for a God that sets us free. You know, the Lord can rescue America again, but it's up to the church. Do you know that? If we would pray, if we would turn from our wicked ways and seek his face and pray, he will heal our land. Amen. Today is a day of freedom. We cry freedom from the chains that bind our adults, that bind our children, that bind our nation. Lord, do it again. You've done it before. Do it again. Amen. Thank you for that word from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. That scripture, I shall not want, gets so confused. It means I shall go without need. I shall have no need because I have the shepherd. It's the shepherd's job to provide the need, not the, to provide the provision, not the sheep. What can the sheep do? Sheep can eat and be sheared. Right? But when we have the shepherd, we're led to water, we're led to food. All provision is made. The evil one is fought away by his staff. His staff and his, what is it? Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Sometimes that comfort's brought by a little smack on the rear to get us back in line. Other times that comfort's brought by fighting off a bear or a lion. Amen? It's important that we we go back to the word and we remember the word. Today, we're, we're continuing on this kind of the same thread of stress, and we're going to stay here for a while. Today, I'm going to deal with one subject. We, we spent the last two weeks on worry, and I hope you're getting breakthrough in worry. The Lord wants to deliver you from worry, wants to deliver you from fear. But what do you think is the secret to long life? In a recent survey, they found out that it does help that you come from a family that has a long a history of of long life. It does help that you take good care of yourself and exercise. But they found out that the number one reason that people live longer is work satisfaction. Isn't that something? Work satisfaction. When people are enjoying what they're doing. Wow. Literally, the key ingredient to living a long life is enjoying your job. I wonder how many many of you would raise up your hand and say, Pastor, I don't think I'm going to live very long. I'll be lucky if I make it through this service. The secret to job fulfillment is that you find something that you love to do so much that you would be willing to do it for nothing, but get so good at it that people would want to pay you for it. Amen? I believe that. And, you know, you're looking at a person that, uh, as, as nerdy as I am, I love to go to work. I don't know that that makes me weird. I don't know. I just love it. I just I, I don't love everything that I do. And how many knows some things at work you're just not going to love? I don't know that you were I don't know that you're supposed to love it. There are just certain things I just don't love to do. But for the most part, I love what I do. And what's so funny, and y'all are going to laugh, is it started off in the sound booth. If you didn't know, I started off as a sound guy. Those of you that have been here have heard that a thousand times. You're going to get to hear it again. And I believe that the Lord started to open the door for me when I just started to serve. And you know what's funny? And I don't think I've ever shared this. 
I didn't want to do it. That's not where I wanted to be. In fact, I argued with God. I argued with Pastor Chris. This doesn't make any sense. I don't know where you're coming from, but okay. And I obeyed and, you know, it it kind of started there. But I love to go in. I love to work. It's become a part of my life. In fact, I'm, I'm excited about this message. And if the Lord willing, I'm going to give you some principles over the next few weeks. One principle that I believe will change your life, change your life in your work. But not only that, change your life in your relationships to one another, your relationships to God. Change the quality of your life. Live your life to its fullest. I read an article uh, from a few years ago from Business Week that talked about the, the, the top 10 uh, toughest jobs according to Business Week. This is a little old, so you might see a little bit of a difference, but I think it still applies to today. Number one, an inner city high school teacher is number one. Number two, a police officer. Number three, a miner, not the youth. People that work in mines. We're we're not real uh, aware of that because it doesn't happen much here in Tennessee. Um, Number four, Air traffic controller. Number five, a medical intern. Number six, a stockbroker. And let me tell you, this one I'd say has gone out the roof in the last five years. Amen? Number seven, a journalist. Number eight, customer service complaint department representative. You ever made one of those phone calls? Yeah. We've been on the other end of that, causing stress. Amen. Number nine, waitress. Let me stop here for just a minute. And I said this first service, I'm going to say it again. And I say this pretty regularly. You know, if you ask any waiter or waitress, what's the worst day to work? Sunday. And all that does is just confirm in me where our message is going today. Church, you go to a restaurant that you're supposed to tip, tip. If you don't want to tip, don't go to that restaurant. Go to a restaurant that doesn't accept tips. But if you go to a restaurant that accepts tips, tip at least 15%. And many would argue with you now, it'd be 18 or 20%. Amen? Don't confirm in there what they already think about the church. That's where our message is going today, is we are falling short as a church, in our job, in our life. But then finally, is a secretary. Now, now one that's not on there that I think should be listed is a stay-at-home mom. I mean, I got four kids at home. Amen. Uh, All you got to do is leave me home for a little while, and I'll put it up there at the top. It's stressful. It's tough, but what are some signs of of having a stressful job that stress is starting to affect your life? What are some warning signs? Number one, a rapid pulse. Is this where you are when you go into work? Does Does your blood pressure shoot out the roof? Number two, frequent illness. I don't mean you're calling in sick because you don't want to go to work. I mean, you're really getting sick. You're battling colds and your, your immune system's always, uh, down. Number three, insomnia. You can't sleep. These are warning signs of stress. I heard a cute story from a first grade teacher and this first grader came into her class 
And uh, she said, my dad brings his home, his work home all the time. And she was talking to her dad. This child was talking to her dad saying, dad, why do you, why do you bring work home with you every night? He said, well, honey, I just got so much work to do that I just can't get it done in the time that I'm given. I just can't get it done at work. So I have to bring it home. And she said, well, daddy, why don't they just put you in the slower group? Isn't that the truth? If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 24. We're going to look at a great story. Um, So simple, yet so profound. Abraham is a very old man. Genesis chapter 24. And his wife Sarah is dead, and his son Isaac is about 40. And in biblical times, it was the parent's job to select a mate for the child. And I happen to think as a father of a 13-year-old that we should go back to those days. And every year that goes by, I think so stronger. I got three girls. Heaven help us. I don't kill somebody. and I'm kidding, kind of. <laughs> Heaven help us. Come back, Jesus. Amen. But Abraham, he's sending his servant to find a wife for Isaac. And he gets uh, Eliezer. And he says, go, I want you to go back to my home area. Because he knows the importance of this selection. That she is, that she is not to be unequally yoked with Isaac. So he sends him to, uh, to find a woman for Isaac. And let's start with verse 10. Now, I got it on the screen for you, but we're going to be referring back to it. I encourage you, get out your Bible. This is the uh, New American Standard. Verse 10, then the servant took 10 camels uh, from the camels of his master and set out for a variety of with a variety of good things of his masters in his hand. And he arose and he went to Mesopotamia in the city of Nahor. Verse 11, and he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time. And when the uh, at the time when the women uh, go out to draw water. Verse 12, and he said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing in the spring and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Verse 14, now may it be that the girl whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink and who answers drink and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And by this I shall know that thou hast shown loving kindness to my master. Verse 15. And it came about before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's mother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. And the girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant, servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little water from your jar. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. Verse 20. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw. And she drew for all his camels. Amen. Now, I want to focus for a moment on verse 19. It says, now, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, where Rebecca had just given Eliezer a drink, the servant, and she said these words that that grab us, this simple truth, but yet profound. She said, I will draw for your camels 
until they have finished drinking. The point for today is that Rebecca was willing to go the extra mile. So you'd say, big deal. So she's willing to give him, give him a drink, a stranger a drink, but also uh, water his camels. Well, camels will drink between 20 and 30 gallons of water. And do you remember how many camels he had? Verse 10 said that he started off with 10 of his master's camels. So immediately when she makes this uh, commitment, thank you. When she makes this commitment to him, she is saying, I will spend an hour and a half, probably two hours of work for you. Not just to give you a drink, but to also give your camels a drink. And not just to give them a drink, but to let them drink until they're finished drinking. Huge commitment that she had made. The prevalent work philosophy of our world today in the workplace today, I'm afraid, is the average person would say, I'm going to do what is least expected of me and try to get the most payment for it. In other words, minimum effort for maximum return. Would y'all agree? That's where our world is today. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you one more article. This is what we're talking about, this minimum effort for maximum return. A few years ago, Time Magazine had an article said that was called America the Insufficient or Why Nothing Seems to Work in America Anymore. I'm just going to take one paragraph. It says, for many years, America was noted around the world for its efficiency, for the quality of its products and its honesty and the fact that men prided themselves in what they made. But in the last few years, it's changed. There's a feeling all over the world now that our country has lost this important characteristic. There have been complaints coming from everywhere that we cannot be trusted, that we do not do our work well, and that we are becoming known as America the inefficient or America the deficient. What a slam on our workforce. I read one more article that said that when manufacturers in America uh, make vehicles, that they boost the price by 25% for the, only for the fact of recalls. Of mess ups. That 25% of what you pay for a car is because of the mistakes they know that are going to come back on them and to help pay for those. Isn't that horrible? 25%. And Elizabeth and I were having our car worked on Friday, and she just came away saying, I can't believe how much a new car is. It's just unbelievable. And how a quarter of that is because they're expecting mistakes. You might say, well, pastor, I think you're right. I think that you're right about our economy. You're right about our workforce. But what does that have to do with me? Well, I'm glad you asked. It has everything to do with Christians because the shoddiness and lack of effort and lack of the second mile thinking should never take place in the mind of the Christian. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught us that our righteousness should exceed that of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the all-time clock watchers. They would do just exactly what was required and nothing more or nothing less. Jesus said that unless our righteousness exceeds their righteousness, that we wouldn't make it to heaven. Remember the illustration he gave? He told us to turn the other cheek. 
He told us to give our outer coat and our inner coat if somebody asked for them. And he told us to walk the second mile. Do you remember when Jesus would say to walk the second mile? Do you know when he said that in those days that the Jews knew what he was talking about? They understood what he meant when they said the uh, when they said to walk the extra mile. The Jewish people knew because the Jews were under Roman authority. And if I were a Roman soldier and if I would come to somebody's house, house and tap on their door and like Pastor Stephen, and I tap on his door and uh, tap him on the shoulder and I and that tap would tell him that I'm going to ask something of him and there was no option but to do it. I might ask him for his coat and he would have to give me that coat and that coat would be mine. I might ask him, Stephen, I've got a lot to carry. Walk a mile with me and carry my bags with me. He had no choice. You see, under Roman authority, the Jewish person had to walk the first mile. There was no question about it. You didn't fight about it. It's just the way life was. You were under their authority. They owned you for one mile. What's significant is that once that mile was walked, they couldn't compel you to walk another one. You laid their bags down respectfully, dismissed yourself and went back to whatever you were doing. They could not compel you to go two miles. Jesus was teaching that the Christian walks the second mile. For the first mile, the boss may own you. You may go punch the clock. You may go through things that you've never uh, go through things because you've got to do those things or you get fired. Either you do it or you get fired. But Jesus was saying that the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian is that the Christian walks the second mile and does the little extra that causes people to say, wow, why would you do that? What made you do that? You didn't have to do this. Why? What makes you different? What's different about you? Now, if you would just listen carefully, if a Christian if a, if as a Christian, we operated under what I want to call this this scripture passage, the Rebecca principle, the principle of doing what you're asked to do and more and a little bit extra. I'm here to tell you that there would be a difference. There would be excellence in the marketplace again. But people are do, but people that are doing the hiring would be asking this question. This would be part of their uh, um, interview process. Are you a Christian? If Christians were going the extra mile, employers would be searching for Christians to work for you. They would be looking for Christians because they would know Christians would go the extra mile to make up the difference. You want to talk about a witness? That's a witness. I'm not talking about going to your job and uh, talking about salvation through Jesus Christ, which is great. I'm talking about a silent witness. If we as Christians would get into the marketplace and give maximum instead of minimum effort, do our best to walk the second mile, I promise you our employers would be coming to our church. Not because of great preaching, not because of great worship, because they see something different. What's different about you? They see something drastically different from the lazy, apathetic, just get by attitude that is in our market today. You see, we're looking for lightning bolts. We're looking for mysticism and spiritual platitudes. And Jesus says, if you really want to be a witness in the marketplace, quit quoting scripture. 
In fact, you're not going to give max. If you're not going to give maximum effort on the job. Don't witness at all. Do you all hear me? Don't be mad at me. All right, I'm not telling you not to go quote scripture. I'm telling you, if you're doing a poor job at work, what are you saying about the Christian faith? What are you saying about yourself? What I'm saying is get in there and do a great job and then witness. How many knows the workplace the world thinks we're hypocrites? Thinks we play one, we say one thing and do something else. Why do they think that? Because that's what we do. But the Lord is saying, be different. Be different. Be different. You know, uh, there's a great saying that says, people don't care what you think until they know that you care. Don't tell me about what you're about until I see what you're about. Show me what you're about and then I'll listen to you. It's a scary thing to be going through the voting process and we don't know anybody. We're just having to take their word for it. That's scary. Let's see what you're made of. And then I'll decide whether I vote for you or not. What's your history? What kind of worker are you? Spirit-filled life gives ordinary people the power to do extraordinary things. But the Holy Spirit also gives ordinary people the power to do ordinary things in an extraordinary way. Give your boss the best that you can plus some. And then begin to tell him about Jesus. Why would he want to listen to you if all the time he's frustrated about what kind of employee you are? You think he's going to hear what you got to say? No. You go back to that job with that irritable, obnoxious boss. I happen to believe that the grace of God can give you the ability to love the unlovable. And to make the difference in the workplace. Not only can I give you something to drink, but let me give your camels drink too. I see excellence resulting from the fact that the power of God's spirit will help you to do things just a little bit better and a little bit longer. Now, before we leave today, how do we apply this second mile mentality to our life? How do we apply this second mile Rebecca principle to life? Number one, we're not to live life always measuring everything we're not to live a life that is always measuring that's what the pharisees lived that's the way they lived their life they did ever they measured everything you give them a recipe boy they'd follow it the pharisees were the all-time hall of fame time clock punchers they would do exactly what was asked of them no more and if there's anything i learned from this story is that's not the way i'm supposed to be i'm supposed to do more Jesus said, turn the other cheek, walk the second mile. A Christian ought to do more than what is expected of him or her. Amen. Number two, we cannot walk the second mile until we've walked the first one. We have to get the basics under our belt. We have to do a thorough job with what we have to do. Before we can do an excellent job. Or do an extra job with that which may be given to us. If we haven't done a great job where we are, we can't do a great job where we're going. So many times you think, if I can just get that next job, I will give everything I got. Nope, you'll give exactly what you're giving now to the job you got now. 
You just think you will. You want to get that better job? Do the job you're doing now excellent. You know, God is a promoter. He knows everything that's going on, and he's a great promoter. It says you humble yourself, and he will exalt you. You know what the extra mile mentality is? It's humbling. It's saying, I don't have to do this for you, but I'm going to. You're not making me do this. Nobody's watching me do this. I'm not going to go sing the hallelujah chorus and make sure you knew I did something extra. Nope, I'm just going to do it. You know, God's a promoter of that. Number three. Oops. I hit it twice. Ah. Ah. Technology. Are y'all asleep? Thanks, Steve. Extra blessing comes from extra effort. Extra blessing comes from extra effort. When, when you and I put the extra effort in, we become recipients of extra blessing. It's a fact. Jesus said it in his scripture. He said the way that we measure life and give to life is the way that we will receive from life. Do you remember that? In the way that we give, in the measuring stick that you use, the same measuring tool will be used in how you receive. Do y'all know that scripture? We say it almost every week. I don't have my... My special Bible. I have a Bible that, that I, can go, I can go completely dumb and go blank. And I've got it all written out because I have that tendency. Luke 6, 38, Pastor Stephen said. If y'all would respond, I wouldn't do this. But maybe you don't really know. Maybe you just want to hear it. But we'll look at it. Given it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your lap. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. That's red letters. Extra effort equals extra blessing. And I talked about this earlier, that in our basketball team, I talked to you all about how our kids weren't giving effort. And I told them, I don't care if you, you, you do everything perfectly. I don't care if you fall down, you miss every shot. I don't care. I just want 100% effort. When we leave this game, I want everything that you've got on the floor. I want you sweating. I want you huffing and puffing. I don't want anything left in the bag when we get done. They said, okay. And what happened? They started playing and every shot went in. Every rebound came to us. Every loose ball came to us. Every call the referee made was uh, on our, uh, was for us. And I told one of the coaches sitting next to me, man, everything's falling our way. And then the Lord started to remind me, when you work hard, good things happen. That's called favor. That's called not sitting back and waiting for something to be given to you. You're going and you're taking it. Just by their effort. Just by, they just positioned themselves for success. How many times have you seen somebody that works extremely hard seem to have all the chips falling their way? That's not rocket science. That's somebody that's doing the extra mile. Extra blessing comes from extra effort. And take this from your job. Let's take this to marriage. Do you know if you would apply yourself the same way in marriage that don't just do what's required, but do more? Do you know that I believe that the divorce courts would shut down? The problem is in marriage, we get married and we turn it just the other way. We're waiting for the other person to do the extra. 
and the other person's feeling the same way. And no longer are we depositing into our relationship. We're withdrawing. And eventually it's empty. There's nothing there. Well, that's not really required of me. I don't have to do this. Our culture today would say, what are my rights? What are my rights? That statement is killing us as a nation. You're violating my rights. What are my rights? We lay down while we lay down doing nothing because of our right, because our rights are being violated. We're also not reaching over and doing the little bit extra that makes a difference in people's lives. Let me give you three words to leave with today. Three words that will change your life if you will, if you will accept them and if you will apply them. Accepting is not enough. You got to apply. And then some. You know, my dad once taught me that when I go to work, find out what's res- what you're responsible for. Do that. And one more thing. He also taught me that when I borrowed somebody's piece of equipment, give it back to them in better shape than when I got it. Make somebody want to loan it to me again. How many of you have ever borrowed a trailer and the tire goes flat before you can get home? And you know it wasn't your fault. But sure enough, you've borrowed it and there's the tire flat. How many of you have returned it with a flat tire? Don't do it. Fix it. Take it back to them in better shape than when you got it. You might not even tell them. Oh, I had to fix your tire and woe is me. No, just give it back to them in the same shape or better than what you got it. And shut your mouth and let the Lord bless you. You know, if you're looking for verbal uh, blessing from somebody else, that's uh, Scripture tells us that's the only blessing you're going to get. And I don't want that blessing. I want his blessing. Boy, it's hard to keep your mouth shut when you're wanting praised for something that you weren't, you shouldn't have had to do. Isn't that tough? Are y'all here with me? The highly successful person does what they're expected to do, and then some. The highly successful marriage is because they are giving more than what's expected to them. The good student, let me tell you, straight A's do not come without hard work. There might be one in a billion that can make it without it, but I'm one of those that have to work for my success. It doesn't just happen. I have to work for it. And then some. Not how much, how little must I do, or it's not my job. What would happen if we were to become second mile people? What would happen if we were to become more like Rebecca? We would receive more than we could ever think possible. I guarantee you that if Christians, if church on the hill would be more Rebecca-like and walk the second mile, we would receive more from life, more from our marriage, more from God, more from others than we could ever think possible. Let me tell you, that's why give, that's why people that don't give don't receive anything. Rebecca, because Rebecca gave more than what was expected of her, she received more than she could ever expect. What did she get? She didn't know she was about to go get a husband. And she didn't know that through that husband was she going to become the great, 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 grandmother of Jesus. Out of her act of going the second mile. You don't know what the blessing's going to be. Scripture says if you'll do it, The blessing will find you and overtake you. Who wants a blessing? I do. I want a blessing, Lord. But this is where this this, uh, sermon really, really gets significant. I'm going to close right here. You see, in the last days, the master is going to look at the sheep and he's going to say to us, 
thank you for clothing me. And our response is, Lord, we didn't clothe you. He's going to say, thank you for feeding me. Thank you for giving me food. Lord, when did I give you food? You see, when we do unto others with the right motives not to get anything in return, when we become Rebecca people, the second mile people, when we say, I'll give you a drink and I'll, I'll, drink, I'll give your camels drink too. Jesus said that we're doing that little extra for him. When you stand before him, are you going to have a glad heart because you're a second mile person? Or are you going to stand before him as a stingy person saying, I didn't get out of life what I was supposed to. Life has not treated me right. Life is unfair. How are you going to stand before God? You see, I run into people, all kinds of people that expect life to do things for them. And they say, okay, life, fulfill me. Okay, life, give me purpose. Okay, life, meet my needs. And life's saying, it's not how that works. You give and then you receive. You don't receive and then give. You don't go to a fireplace that's empty and say, okay, fire, give me heat. Nope, you got to work at it. You got to go get the logs, put them in. You got to go get your kindling, put it in. You got to get your lighter fluid, put it in. Got to throw your match to it. And then you got to work at it. And then after all that work, we receive. I didn't get nothing out of it until I'd put all the work into it. Are you with me? That's not how it works. I know a lot of people who do not enjoy their jobs or their spouses or life at all because they have not learned this Rebecca principle. And then some. And then some. I'm telling you, if you will apply it to your relationships, if you will apply it to your life, if you will apply it to your job, promotion can't keep from missing you. You are just going to position yourself for the Lord to bless you. And do you need breakthrough? Who needs breakthrough? I need breakthrough. I need breakthrough. Well, it's time to get to work. And then some. We're going out to All Good Park. Many of us, we've got about 40 people going out to serve. I want you to know when you put that shirt on, you say, I'm a Christian. And you say, I'm supposed to be different. No longer can you just kind of fit into the crowd. You've got, you've got to, hold that up, Rita Marie. Tommy, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. Come talk to me. I'm different. I've got an answer that you don't have. Whatever you do, don't drop the ball. Go the extra mile. If somebody needs help, give them what they're asking for and then some. When you're out there working with the other churches, give them what they're asking for and then some. One of the best ways to get yourself out of your own hole is to help somebody out of theirs. we got a great opportunity today. Let's go be salt and light in all good. Can we do that? Let's be salt and light at our job. Let's be salt and light at our, in our marriage, in our church. Amen. We all stand with me.
Father, I just thank you for this morning. And Lord, I just pray that we would we would learn to not try to just get by, not try to live a life of minimum effort for maximum return. But Lord, that we would be maximum effort people. Lord, that we would obey your word and that we would, you, Lord, you would bless us for that obedience. That you would position us. We're, many are needing promotion. Many are needing jobs. Many are needing breakthrough. Lord, help us in where you have us positioned now to work hard, to do good. Lord, in our marriages, in our relationships, give us breakthrough. With those that are ministering, go ahead and come on forward. Maybe the extra mile for you today would be just to step out and to let somebody pray with you. Maybe just to say, Lord, I don't know you on this level to have a personal prayer uh, for my life. Maybe your health, maybe your finances. I just encourage you, step and walk that extra mile this morning. Let us pray with you. Let us pray with you that you would be an impactor in your job, an influencer. Not a deterrent or not a problem, but be a problem solver for your boss. Just ask you, if you've got a health issue, I want you to know God is our healer. Scripture says uh, to call for the elders of the church to lay hands on them that the sick will recover. It's time for you to have a miracle. It's time for God to have a chance to move in your life. Step out this morning. Let's sing. Amen.